What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of the Red Card Report podcast. This is episode 92. I am your host, Ruizinho dos Santos, coming at you all with another episode this week. And yes, Joe Cappuccino is not in the studio with me tonight, but I am with the Red Card Report's newest transfer, Eddie Baptista. What's going on, man? Good evening. How's everybody doing? My second week back-to-back, now full-time, ready to make my uh, second episode. Rui, thank you for having me on. Super happy to be here and uh, ready to jump right into it. Second week on, and and if I am correct, if my memory serves me correctly, you are a bigger shareholder on the Red Card Report than Joe. Is that correct? According to the reports, yes, the I am. The contracts that you said, Joe... He Joe work- is uh, working for us now. <laughs> he is. He's he's an employee. He's he's employed, but he hasn't been showing up to work. But <laughs> I'm here. I've been reading the fine print, and yes, I am a majority shareholder now. Yeah, Joe uh, took the day off because he was ecstatic about the signing of uh, Locatelli to Juventus finally after two months of ongoing meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings, and they finally pulled the trigger. We all thought that. It wasn't going to happen. A lot of us thought it was going to happen, but the Juventini are sleeping well tonight for sure. Never thought I'd see the day that Juventini over here cheering for Locatelli signing, but hey, to each their own. Let him let him have it. But we'll, he'll always go down for you know scoring that incredible goal in in the cup and the the Coppa Italia. So you know what? Maybe they forgot about that, but let them rejoice. This is this is big for them. But if Locatelli's a big signing for you. I get it. So, Eddie, let's a lot of things going on. Obviously, the EPL kicked off this past weekend. Nine wins, nine defeats. There was not a single draw. A lot of exciting uh, matches played. Obviously, all the big powerhouses did really well, except for one team out of Manchester. And it's not United that disappointed. It was Manchester City. Tottenham, Nuno Espirito Santo in his first match with his new club, gets the upset over Pep Guardiola, one nothing. Eddie? Hey, not surprising at all. We covered this in our last episode and really you know, gave kudos to Nuno and Spiritus Santo for the work he did at Wolves. And we knew coming into Spurs, it was a huge step for him, but he did not disappoint. I thought from an organizational standpoint, he just went toe-to-toe with Pep, really had no match for him in midfield. Uh, the way that that midfield worked for him blocked off all of City's, you know, passing lanes, the way that Pep likes to play, you know, with Lucas Moura really disrupting, you know, Grealish's game. Uh, anybody that was trying to go through that midfield really had a tough time. And and Spurs really, I mean, they were head and shoulders above City. Uh, City didn't even have a chance to to really, you know, equalize or even try to take that lead even in the first half I thought Spurs were were very uh deserving of the three points so huge performance from from Spurs really you know a debut for Nuno Espirito Santo that you know goes down in history you know he adds to his uh resume of beating Pep you know he really sunned Pep a few times already and he just adds to the list so Yoming Sun Huge performance from him, huge goal. So uh, it really changes the the dynamic and the perspective from a Spurs fan and how that plays into you know the rest of the season for the Premier League. Yeah, and you know, one thing that stood out to me the most about 
Tottenham in this game was the amount of energy, the passion that the entire team had. It's something that was missing ever since basically their Champions League final a couple a couple of years ago. And we're looking at players like Tanganga, Eric Dyer, even Dele Alli, who Mourinho, if any of you saw the documentary on Amazon, literally said to his face, you're a wonderful player, but you are so lazy, <laughs> right? Dele Alli, Lucas Moura, as you said, disrupting uh, Jack Grealish, Young Ming Song, everywhere, all over the pitch. He was playing on the left, he was playing on the right. All this energy, they were all over Manchester City. And usually, you know, you have to be patient when you're going up against a team that holds so much possession. You have to wait on your opportunity to force them to make the mistake and get on that counterattack. And that's what happened in that goal. And it could have happened a couple of other times. I know Steven Bergwijn had a a golden opportunity to make it Mm 2 nothing. He squandered that. And that's like one of the things that, that could hurt Tottenham this year. It's those players getting into those those positions, those goal scoring uh, positions. They need to capitalize, and that's what separates. We mentioned on the on the podcast last um, two weeks ago, where consistency gets you to either the championship if you're in that position to win the league, but it also gets you into that position to get into the top four, into the Champions League. So Bergwijn got lucky that. They never suffered a goal against Manchester City. But outside of all that, they were knocking on Manchester City's door. And Manchester City overall, they 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 lacked that quality in the final third in the box. Crosses were going in from Juan Cancelo, but no one was there to put him away. They didn't have that big striker that they were looking for this offseason, Harry Kane. And yep. he was nowhere to be seen in this game. There was no no need for Kane in you know, going back to that defensive performance it was a strong man performance from from that back line you know and you know added to that transitionary phase where you know Lucas Moura was getting the ball and just dashing at defenders and it was really impressive to me because he was overlooked you know the last couple seasons you know coming off the bench and it wasn't as impactful uh but in that game it was a statement game and I think he solidified his uh spot in the in the 11 for for Nuno yeah especially if if Harry Kane is not to stay we're going to be seeing a lot of Lucas Mora, and we saw flashes of what he brought to the table against Ajax a couple of years ago in mm-hmm. the Champions League. He stu- mm-hmm. he basically just came up, showed up in the biggest moments, and he didn't score the game-winning goal, but his presence was definitely felt, and that's what matters, and that's what that's what a team like Tottenham needs, who were the underdog when they're going up against a team like Manchester City, the runners-up in the Champions League, the the winners of the league prior. This is a huge win, statement win. And you know what? Maybe Harry Kane is thinking twice yeah. about leaving. I don't know, Eddie. A what, lot what do you of- what do you do as a striker? What do you do? Do you do you continue on with that momentum, knowing uh, what you mean to the Spurs uh, as an organization, to the fans, uh, and all the years and seasons that you've put in for this club? Are you just going to just leave it all and go to City, where you know it might be the easier route to to win in the Premier League, or do you really fight it out and? you know, go by that Spurs mentality of just really fighting for, for, for those results and, and trying to win the league. What do you do? Yeah. Or, or is, is the money is what's going to make you move. So yeah. I'm really interested to see what, what Harry Kane does. I know Nuno Spiritu Santo really would love him to stay. And I think from a, from the perspective of, of a story, 
you know, why, why doesn't he stay and try to solidify his legacy there a little bit longer? Because there's a lot that can, that can be done with this Spurs team. Yeah. The Spurs have all the resources. They built a wonderful project over the years. Last couple of seasons, obviously has been a little bit of a, a setback in that project, but they have the tools, they have the capabilities. Now they have a little bit more, uh, leeway in terms of spending. Cause they went throughout those years with Pochettino really being fiscally conservative, having a tight wallet, uh, doing a great job with the players that they had, with the resources that they have. I don't know. I hope, I, I would hate to see him go to Manchester City because it's like now there's another guy going to Manchester right. City. And I always liked Harry Kane. I think he's a great player, top three, definitely top five striker in the world without a doubt. What he means to this club and how he conducted himself as a professional throughout his career. Now, I don't know the whole story of what's been going on uh, lately, him not showing up to the training camps and whatever. I think today or yesterday was his first day at, at practice with the squad. So who knows if he changed his mind or not. But there's a lot of questions up in the air and you kind of like expect a little bit more. This is a guy that's the captain of Tottenham. This is the captain of the English national team. Always conducted himself as a professional. Yeah. There's a lot of questions here. And you know what? I, I always would think that Harry Kane is the guy that would be a straight shooter when he puts when he puts himself or he gets himself in a position like this. Like you you're the you're the professional that everyone thinks you are. You're the leader of this team. You would think that he would be straight with the fans, straight with the organization, yeah. like wait, it's time for me to go. And you can understand a player that wants to leave. And wants to try something else. Wants to go something to something different. bigger. Like in, in the in the instance of, of Graylish, you know, you're going from, you know, Aston Villa to Man City. That's a huge leap. But with Harry Kane, I, I don't know what's going on in his mind. I, I'm not a professional footballer, but he's been there. He had a terrific Euro. Uh, you know, he's been to a Champions League final. He's playing in a Euro final. He has a legacy that he's built at Tottenham. And it's like, it would be a shame to see him tear that all down because then, you know, it's going to leave a bad taste in a lot of, uh, you know, the Tottenham fans. Yeah. So I hope he does the right thing. You know, we as fans, we like to see, you know, the loyalty in football, which there is such minimal nowadays, but... We'll see in the coming weeks, but uh, to me, I hope that he does stay because it would make things a lot more interesting. Yeah, uh, there's already, I mean, there's six or seven great great clubs in the EPL. It'd be, it'd be a shame to see Tottenham, who are, who seem to be going in the right direction now, especially after this win, losing a player like Kane and then going to one of those other big clubs. It kind of just takes the competition away, even though as competitive as those big clubs are this year in the EPL and always have been, it's great, but you want to see more of it. So, but I hope, I hope Harry Kane stays as well. I've always respected Tottenham. I've always respected Harry Kane and I do, I'm, I agree with you and mm -hmm. like a lot of other fans too, we want to see more loyalty in, in football today. Right. We just got snubbed with Donnarumma leaving to PSG. And it hurts. It, it hurts. hurts. It hurts the fans. And we want to see more loyalty, more bandieras with their clubs. And hopefully, hopefully Kane does stay. But there was another match that I do want to get into, Eddie, that happened this weekend. And we touched up on them last time we talked. Manchester United absolutely destroying Leeds United. 5-1. to one. Paul Pogba, 4 assists. Bruno Fernandes, hat-trick. United were without Sancho and Van de Beek in the starting lineup. They were without Cavani, Rashford, Varane. Also, Anthony Marshall as well was not in the starting lineup. 
Manchester United look great. Yeah, that team is just rich with with talent. Another thing that we talked about last week, and you know they they really look like a title contender after seeing that performance with Bruno and Pogba just clicking like they've been playing together for you know ten years. You know it was a really a thrilling and complete performance from both of them. Um, like you're saying, a hat trick. You know, and then you had four assists from Pogba. I haven't seen Pogba get four four assists ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's only been a, a few players that were, were ever able to to achieve that. So I think all around it was a revitalizing performance in front of a you know, a packed old Trafford, which we haven't seen in God knows how long. So even that right there just, you know, brings that energy. We didn't even get to see Varan. You know, Sancho, we saw a glimpse of him, but there's so much more to come for Man U. And that's, you know, I will stand behind it that they are a title contender. And where can they take this? You know, with with Ole, you know, he has all the tools that he needs. So uh, I think he's going to grow more as a manager, but he has the leadership at the helm. And I think he's going to go far with it. Yeah, I I, I agree too. Um, I think this, this win was a statement win. It's never, the first games of the season are always tough. Mm-hmm. They're they're always strange. Every especially coming back from the Euros, everyone had a short summer. Some players just returned from training, uh, or came back to training a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, and you know they needed time to rest and whatnot. The first couple of games are always tough, and then usually the bigger clubs find their stride throughout the entire season and and finish strong. But this is a win that United, you know, whatever the however they're going to finish this season they're off to the right start. And I love how, you know, as you mentioned, I think, I think Sulkshire has grown a lot over the last three seasons or whatever it is that he's been at Manchester United. Now he's got more tools. He's got more quality. The younger players are growing. I think, you know, the first year that he was there, he called out the young players like they're, Mm -hmm. these players need a reality check. And now a lot of those young players are back on the team. They're still there. And it seems like they've matured even from the second half of last season over the summer and into this game. I think it's going to play a huge part. And I think him overall as a manager has grown really well in how he was able to go into this game with a set strategy, set agenda, and take advantage of how open Leeds United like to be. And when you have two great world-class ball distributors, dribblers, you know, guys that can hold possession like Pogba, and uh, Bruno Fernandes, they can create anything and just get around, beat that press, take advantage of the open space. You have two players like that. It's lights yeah, out. It's, and it's, it's we open. saw it. Pogba was able to have three assists and Bruno Fernandes just looked like, he looked like a number nine, just beating all the runs out there and three open goals, open yeah, play goals. Tr- truly impressive. And, you know, the biggest criticism of Pogba comes in, you know, his efforts and, you know, so many people, uh, analysts, other managers, you know, they, they rely on Pogba, but he doesn't deliver because the motivation is not there. But I think with the partnership between him and Bruno, it's, they're motivating each other and they can do some deadly things. So, uh, I'm super ecstatic to see, uh, how well they do this season and with, Everyone else around them, I think once Sancho gets implemented into into their starting 11 and David James kind of gets relegated to the bench, we're going to see fireworks. Yeah. And Rashford coming back. Yeah. Cavani coming back. Maybe Marshall and 
Cavani are going to rotate on that number nine position. It's, it's a big, big season Van ahead. The big. There's ahead. a lot of quality on the scene. There's a lot of depth here for them to win potentially two trophies. Multiple They're in trophies. the Champions League. The FA Cup, obviously, is a potential. The EPL title is going to be huge. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a lot of meaning um, to this EPL race because I think there's four strong, balanced heavyweights uh, that are going at it. And this is going to lead me to my next question for you, man. Who do you think? Who do you think is going to win the league, and who are your top four? Because I mean, obviously, like the favorites: City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United. But you also have these dark horses in Leicester mm-hmm. City and mm-hmm. Tottenham. I can't say Arsenal yeah. anymore. It's going to take a while for Arsenal to get started, but it's it's so hard to to even pick because there's so many different factors. Uh, but I'm going to stick to my guns. I think it's a, it's going to be between Man United and Chelsea. I think Chelsea have been on a on a long run of just consistency. They're able to, you know, they they they're the European champions. They just won the Super Cup uh, this this past week against Villarreal, and I think that they have what it takes. They have a great squad, you know, with with a lot of options, and now bringing in Lukaku, I think that is you know just that deadly force that can really jumpstart them to to becoming you know that that Premier League you know heavyweight. You know, everybody wants to talk about City, you know, because of their their massive spending and and all these big names that they have, but. We see the weaknesses in in City's game, and Nuno exposed that. But this is it's a marathon. Uh, anything can happen. Last year, City was came off to a very poor start as well, you know. So we can't count them out already. I think that they're they're still going to impress. But I'll keep it between Chelsea and Man United. So we'll see in May. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I I really don't know. I mean, Liverpool are always great when when they're healthy. They're having a ton of players yeah. uh, returning from injury. I mean, when you lose Gomez, you lose Van Dijk in the back line. That's that's always tough, and it's hard to overcome. Um, it's hard to overcome that. And we look at Chelsea since Tuchel took over. What was their what was their biggest question mark on that team? It was the number nine, and mm-hmm. if Lukaku really just continues his form and is able to put these goals away and play well in the EPL, you know, yeah. they're definitely one of the favorites. And I think that's what's going to come down to which team is going to win. I think all these teams um, potentially going for the for the title, they need that number nine. They need to pour in goals. They need to have that reliable, consistent score. And Manchester City doesn't have that. That's why they were going after Harry Kane. Manchester United, Cavani, um, Anthony Marshall, and then all the other attackers, maybe they can compensate having that tradition, that that constant number nine presence week in and week out. But yeah, maybe I'll, I'm going to agree with you. I, I say Manchester United or Chelsea are, are, are the favorites for now. Um, but it's, it's going to be, it's still going to be tough. I mean, we saw last year. City didn't really have a number nine, but they were able to score goals. And yeah, they were the, able the to goal, keep the clean sheets. Yeah. So maybe the goals will come in a different way, but maybe this year is going to be different. I, I see so much balance here. Even though Liverpool um, haven't been too busy in the transfer market, the quality is still there in their midfield and their attackers. Uh, Bobby Firm, you know, maybe he's not going to be the guy, but Diogo Jota is there and he was great yeah. when he was healthy. And then you have uh, Mane and, and Salah. It's, it's going to be tough. Yeah, to, to, you you can't you can't take away from Liverpool, and I know that you know last season wasn't as great, 
so they do have a lot to prove. But one of the reasons why I do pick Chelsea or Man United is that Man United, they've been in the shadows for, for years and they are out to, you know, they're out for blood. They're out to prove themselves. I think it's it's on them to really deliver it for, you know, all the, the Reds fans. And with Chelsea, they have a chip on their shoulder. You know, they're strutting around. They're European champions. And with that kind of swagger, I feel like that gets... Yeah. put on to a lot of their players you have young players like uh trevor uh chalaba that stepped up you know was one of the top players in you know that super cup game and then bringing in lukaku like i said too that's huge so i feel like that only bolsters them that gives them that 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 confidence that they need so we'll see what happened but chelsea are, are definitely in the running they they've impressed me you know ever since late last last season yeah. you know with with what they achieved so we'll see the you know the the city and the liverpool they have a lot to do to you know make sure that they they're able to to compete with them yeah so many what ifs here a lot of great coaches coaching them i guess sulkshire is the one that's you know the least experienced and the least accomplished but he's done pretty well so far since his, since he took over man united so there's i mean a lot of factors are going to play into uh, injuries and whatnot um, always play a huge role into into how teams finish at the end of the year. But yeah, I think um, I think it'll come down. I'll agree with you on this one. Chelsea or Man United? Yeah, I think I'll give the edge to, yeah. to Chelsea because they have they have that top quality world class coach. I think Thomas Tuchel is the most is the best tactician in the world right now, and it proved what he yep. was able to do at Chelsea last yeah. year. Chelsea had so many issues, not just at the number nine, but also defensively with uh, Frank Lampard. And Tuchel turned that disaster that was the back line into something that was just spectacular. Yeah. It was the reason why they won the Champions League. It wasn't their scoring. It was their defensive solidarity, um, exactly. solidity that, that won them everything. He, ha- he has the right mixture. And yeah, with what Lukaku did last season, if he can duplicate that, it's it's over because yeah. he carried Inter uh, to that Scudetto, and you know he had a, he had a decent Euro, but I think he's coming back to London with a chip on his shoulder. You know he hasn't scored a lot of goals for Chelsea. You know he he had a stint at Man United, which wasn't as great, but he is a completely different player, and I don't know if people are ready for what he will deliver. So, yeah, I'm excited. From King of Milano to King of London, question mark. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if he, yeah, I guess you can call him King of Milano from well, last year, but it was temporary. Yeah, temporary. Yeah. <laughs> now Oliver Giroud is the King of Milano. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's go on to another top four prediction. Let's move to our league, Seti. Uh, actually, before we get into the top four, uh, there was a coaching carousel. Obviously, all the Serie A fans that are listening know all about it. Allegri back at Juventus, mm-hmm. Maurizio Sarri to Lazio. Very, very strange move there. Politically and, I guess, I don't know, like football. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, is he even, is he also changing his like brand of cigarettes too? Yeah. Like, like, what do they sell a- in in Rome? I would have never thought Maurizio Sarri would be coaching at Lazio. But we got Simone Inzaghi leaving Lazio, going to Inter, taking Antonio Conte's spot. Mourinho going to Roma and Spalletti to Napoli. Obviously, 
Don Pioli is staying at Milan and Atalanta are still with Gasperini. So those two say everyone else, it's like different philosophies, different agendas. Like we look at Roma, they were more of an attacking style mm-hmm. team and they're going with Mourinho. This And I guess we can say the same thing about Inter going with Inzaghi, who's more of a balanced coach, attack first. How, mu- how much do you think that uh, Roma's you know, style and, and just their tactics will change. You know, obviously they're, they're staying with a Portuguese coach, but given how Paulo Fonseca, you know, the job that he did with Roma and now going to Mourinho, how much do you think will change? Do you think that there will be a huge improvement? Defensively? Yeah. Uh, Chris Smalling. <laughs> when, when, hey, when, when you uh all jokes aside um i mean when when united when he was at united chris smalling was a center back in two straight seasons he was top two defense uh Mourinho is capable of 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 turning any average defense into something good now with the rest of the team i mean it's if it's Mourinho ball i think it's I think he needs a lot more transfers. I think he needs set specific set in specific players in the midfield and also in the attack to really complete what he wants. Yeah. Um, when we look at players like Eric Dyer and Hoiberg at Tottenham, Mourinho loved those players and they excelled really well while he was there. I don't know if Roma has that those box to box players, those complete players in the midfield that can defend and also distribute the ball. And then when we look on the attack, it's, I don't know, I, I, it, it's strange to see because when we when we think of Mourinho, we see him managing the best of the best, the cream of the crop, teams with so many, so many good quality players. We look at Roma, this is like a really, no disrespect to Roma, but this is a huge step back for Mourinho. The expectations are obviously not as high as, mm-hmm. as they are at the other clubs. So I don't know if he's going to try something different or or stick to his classic Mourinho tactics, but it, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for him. And I don't know if he's really gonna, if it's really going to yeah. work out. Listen to you, Mourinho, try something different. This guy. No, I, it's going to be tough for Mourinho to break, break into that top four, uh, you know, bringing in Abraham, losing Zeko, you're bringing in a player that is unfamiliar with the league. And I know Mourinho is, you know, he's done loads of work in Italy. He knows that league like the back of his hand. He loves Italy. He thrives in Italy. But I just, I can't see Roma being, you know, a threat to the top four. But there can be surprises. I, I don't I don't know if Mourinho can change his ways given how stubborn he is. Uh, but it's he always keeps it interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's been really interesting this offseason. Two red cards, a brawl. <laughs> And a brawl with his former team, FC Porto, the team that he won the Champions League with back in 2004. Man, it's... I don't know what's going to happen. I do wish Mourinho well, because um, he's of course. he's my favorite. I mean, I'm a Portista, and he brought us the Champions League and everything. I always liked him. He's Portuguese. But it's going to be funny as hell on what's to yeah. come with him, because you you just... His shithousery is epic and it is awesome when he gets into it with anyone whether it's coaches on the pitch players on the pitch the media whatever it may be it's going to be fun so i i mean i do wish him well but i'm i'm on board with you i'm not really convinced i haven't been convinced since 
since he left Manchester United with yeah. him, and he's, he he seemed to have lost a lot on what he once was. And I I just think this Roma move was just like a force. I think this is the only thing that he was going to get, and he took it. And I don't know, I don't know how it's going to play out for him. Yeah, it it certainly will be difficult, but I mean, you will get you know, more, more views. You, you might get, you know, some more TV deals because you have Mourinho there and he's just, you know, creating chaos in, in the press room and just overall just managing, but it will be interesting because he adds another element to that, that coaching carousel that you were talking about where, you know, you have coaches that understand the league really well, uh, I don't know how well some of these match up. Like we're talking about Sari and we talk about Inzaghi. Is it the right fit for those clubs? Mm-hmm. Uh, but time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think those coach, I think Sari uh, could do well at Lazio. I think his way of playing isn't too, or his style of, of coaching isn't too different from Inzaghi. They're not the same coach, but I think with the players that are at Lazio, I think Lazio can actually thrive. Um, with Saudi ball because they do have a great midfielder. They have a great poaching striker. They have hardworking, hardworking players, wingbacks and, and midfield that mm-hmm. obviously play a part in their 3-5-2. So um, 3-5-2 isn't really the, the formation that, that Saudi likes to go with. But I think, I think Lazio can be a team that could potentially make a run for that top four. Um, we crossed off Roma. I'm with you on that one. But what do, you, what do you think are the top four picks for, for Serie A going into this season? Well, I'm go- I'm going to be biased, and I do this every season, but I'm going to say Milan, so, top of the league, uh, because obviously they're, they're keeping, you know, Pioli as, as coach, you know, being a, a consistent coach there versus, you know, bringing in somebody new will definitely, you know, add to the challenge that Milan can bring. Uh, but with the threat of Allegri, I think that's a little bit different. He's going to familiar ground. He has, uh, you know, a pretty good team under him. Uh, so we'll see what he can deliver. But I'm going to go with Milan in first, Juve in second, Atalanta, and then Napoli with Interlazio and Roma finishing below them. Oof. Yeah, mine's a little bit different. That's got- what we like here. We want we want different <laughs> things. I'm going to go with Juventus uh, finishing the league on top. I I think this is a team that pretty much are the same. Adding Locatelli is just another body uh, into the midfield. They they have a conga line of mediocre midfields. I think their midfield issue is still going to continue, but they haven't really lost much. Yeah. And you look at their back line, I think they can still win with Delict and Bonucci, and then you throw Chiellini in there, you can throw Rugani in there for a few games. I think their defense is still going to be pretty good. If Ronaldo is still at Juventus, I think they'll 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 win. If he leaves and ends up going to potentially PSG or wherever else, maybe not so much. But um, Allegri coming back to familiar to familiar grounds, it's a huge it's a huge upgrade over Pirlo. This is a guy that isn't the best coach in the world, but he's a great coach and he understands yeah. the league. He understands the team. He understands how to win, and he's won so much and. I think Juventus are going to be much better overall with the acquisition of Locatelli and uh, bringing back uh, Max Allegri. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with them finishing the top of the league. I'm going to go with Inter finishing in second. I think Inter are still a good team. I think they still have a good coach. Now, it also comes down to them 
selling players, if they sell Lautaro, if they have to sell Barella this season, then my prediction will definitely change. But if those players stay, I think even though losing a guy like Lukaku that brought your title in, replacing him with Zeko, who is a decent striker, can score the big goal, isn't consistent. He is old, but he has that familiar uh, familiarity with the league. And he's playing with players that are much better and in a better system with a better coach. So I'll give I'll give Inter the benefit of the doubt that they're they're definitely going to finish in the top four for me, but um, definitely not enough to to repeat as champions. Uh, third place, I'm going to go with Milan. Um, we haven't fallen off too much. We lost Donnarumma, which is a huge loss, but we got the best replacement that you can get, and it's Mike Magnan. I think he's a top ten goalkeeper in the world. He's fantastic, and I know we were talking earlier. He's great with the ball at his feet, and I think that can help us more in in transition from the tempo, whatever it may be, uh, where we've turned into a possession style team with high tempo and we can transition well on the counter attack as well. So I think having a guy like him being able to be good with the ball at his feet is a huge upgrade over, over Donnarumma. Um, obviously Pioli's back and we're bringing in, we're bringing in players, maintaining the same players that, that we had from the previous season, obviously, um, Tomori signed with us. We were able to bring in Brahim Diaz still. So, um, those signings are key, but the big question mark, um, not the big question mark is the big rumor is that we're projected to make three or four more signings. Mm -hmm. So depending on who the signings are, maybe Milan can go up further in the table, but as everything is right now, I'm going to say third place for them. And I'm going to go with Napoli finishing in fourth. I think Luciano Spalletti. Yeah, he can get it done. He's going to get it done. It's the it's the year of the bald coaches in Serie A. <laughs> Minus uh, Inzaghi. But. I mean, he'll, he'll lose his hair soon enough. Coaching. In coaching coaching Inter, Inter. So. Yeah. No, but, I, I think, I mean, Milan finishing first for me is obviously a pride thing, but it's also predicated on you know, us having a, a few more signings. I have full faith in the management. I think the, the goal and the, you know, the objective is clear. Yeah. You know, we, we do want to challenge in the Champions League. We do want to challenge for the Scudetto. We need the team for that. We need the depth. I think so far, so good. We have a really great defense. We have a great back line. You know, we have, uh, you know, a, a force in midfield with Kessie, another season under his belt. He's just a force to be reckoned with. Giroud coming through with big goals. Yep. You know, he's really proved himself, you know, even in the preseason, he will do what it takes to, you know, really get on the score sheet and, and help carry us. So I think he can do it anywhere. He's done it, you know, in, in, in different stages of his career. He's done it at different phases of the game. He's done it in Champions Leagues. He's done it in, in cup games. He's done it in different sides of London. So yep. I have faith in him. So I think we have a, a really good team. We we need a few reinforcements, but I have faith in my Milan. Yeah, and that's a player that I forgot to mention. Um, I, I like how, how Maldini landed Giroud. Great backup for Ibrahimovic, who is older, doesn't have the pace to, to play 38 games isn't as healthy or you know 38 years old and he's missed quite a few games last year due to injury so I think Giroud coming in starting 15 games totally great with me and hopefully Zlatan will will play the remaining 22 23 games I'm sure I think that's great I think that's what what title contending teams do they find uh rotational players that are capable of doing the job and Oliver Giroud is a proven striker 
proven player, big time player. He works hard and he can score those big goals. And another one that is potentially arriving, I think it's going to happen, is Florenzi. Guy that has experience in the Champions League, in Serie A, has experience just in general, decent player, and he can, he's versatile. Yeah, he, he can he, play he in the plays midfield. His heart out. He can he, play in the wing, plays right back. He could potentially play left back. You know, that's a player that we need to fill in all these gaps when we need it. And if we're going to be playing in the Champions League, which we are, if we want to make a, a run at Coppa Italia, and if we want players to step up when needed, when we need rotational guys to step up, Florenzi can be that guy to, you know, in the league to step up and and make plays and get the points that we need to potentially win the league. So um, I like those points that where you made that the depth is needed and Maldini's taken steps towards that direction, but I still think we need a few more pieces to the puzzle to complete everything. So I guess it all depends who we who we sign in the next couple of weeks until the transfer window closes. Maybe my project my prediction will will change, but we will see. But I think the the Serie A is going to be absolutely thrilling. We have I think probably the more level playing fields you know, that gap that Juve had for almost a decade, you know, they are coming into every season with a clear advantage, uh, with a better team, better coach. But now all of the other teams have, you know, closed in on that. And it's apparent, you know, with last year, Inter winning the Scudetto, but these other teams are hungry too. Mm -hmm. You know, all these teams, they want a challenge. They have, you know, a solid group of players. So, Syria will be interesting. I will be watching every week, like always. But I think when you compare it to the Premier League, it's very similar. It's becoming similar to that, where you have not just one or two teams that could make a running for the for yeah. the league, but now you have five, six, maybe even seven teams that could challenge. And yeah. you know, you have two or three clear cut um, contenders this year. Yeah. I think Milan, Juventus, and Inter, the three biggest teams. I think they're I think they're the favorites. Maybe you can throw a Napoli in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have, like as you mentioned in the, in the EPL, you have that pool of seven teams that obviously not all seven teams can win the league, have the potential to win the league, but those seven teams have that potential to be in the Champions League in the top four. So uh, it, it's going to be super competitive this year. I think it's going to be tighter uh, than it was last year in the beginning you know, maybe two thirds of the season where it was tight. And then, and then Inter ended up just taking off and Milan and Juventus died off. But I think this year, this one's going to go down to the wire. I think we're going to see two teams going neck to neck and maybe a third one just hanging around potentially. Yes. I mean, we dream of the Serie A of the nineties where, you know, you had world beaters on pretty much every team. And, you know, Italy is, is getting there. Syria still needs, you know, to do a little bit of work on maybe on the, the business side, on the broadcasting rights and, and all of these other political things. However, you know, they are closing in on, you know, trying to emulate a Premier League, which is, you know, far ahead of, you know, the rest of the leagues. And we're we're trying to, you know, close in the gap on that. So I think this year is a step in the right direction. You know, after the last two to three seasons where we saw Napoli challenge Juventus and we saw uh, Inter win the Scudetto, that's that's huge. And I think it's big for the league, helps attract, you know, players that really want to go and, and, and play in a league that is very make competitive. Yes, and make a difference. Like so, Lukaku did. Yeah. So 
I mean, I'm I'm beyond excited. I know every uh, Serie A fan is just salivating, waiting for you know the, the kickoff of this league. So yeah, buon campionato a tutti. Let's go starting this this weekend. Well said. And before we close out the show, we definitely have to, I guess, discuss this certain topic that happened last week: Messi joining PSG, turning into. I don't know. I guess the monsters from Space Jam. It's really? like this For is real? just the dream team. This is a dream team. Picking up Messi, picking up Ronaldo, picking up Donnarumma, and someone else on a free. I can't even think right now. But was it Sergio Ramos? Oh, Sergio Ramos. There you yeah. go. This is just. It's like not even fair at this point. But Messi going to PSG. Incredible. I think that was it was a historical move. You know, on PSG's behalf, they know what they're doing. I think the money is, you know, not even an issue. I'm more upset of the reason or why and how he left Barcelona and the kind of the goodbye that he got. I feel like for a player of his stature, that was incomparable to a lot of players in Barcelona's history. And, you know, he said goodbye in a in a press room with, with tears in his eyes. It should have been a lot different. I thought yeah. that. The legacy that he leaves behind, the Ballon d'Ors, the, the Champions Leagues, the big goals that he scored, it just was not justified. So it, I think that tarnishes Barcelona and Lionel Messi's uh, you know, history a little bit, uh, but it doesn't take away from what he achieved there. But I, I thought that that could have been better. But the hello and the greeting that he got in Paris was absolute mayhem. Yeah. The streets of Paris were buzzing, and you could tell, you could feel the energy there, and it's just something that was monumental. You know, Lionel Messi finally leaving his boyhood club, and you never thought you'd see the day, Yeah, but we saw it, and we witnessed it. So it's it's a huge step, and it's a huge statement for PSG. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think he was going to leave. Even last year when he said he wanted to leave, he obviously felt that way. He wanted to get out of the club, but the club ended up making him stay and he stayed he gave out his 100% throughout the entire season put up insane numbers things started changing a bit at the club and uh they obviously removed their their previous president they elected a new uh president who had a different direction and Messi seemed to like and come around to the project that he set out for the future of the club and Messi wanted to stay and as he expressed in his in his farewell uh, at Barcelona, he, he didn't want to leave, and unfortunately, La Liga's laws on, or yeah, their regulations on on what a team can spend, on whatever their financial circumstance is, wasn't possible, and it, it's just a shame. I thought, you know, th- he's actually going to stay, even though he could go somewhere and win something else, and it seemed like he wanted to work with this project and bring Barcelona back to the top and it's it's just too bad what happened to him especially the farewell that he had to give as you mentioned the reception that he got in Paris was just a huge like it's basically like a slap in the face to to to, to Barcelona you know yeah. I think him going to PSG is <sighs> listen it's 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 like you know when you pick the world 11 in FIFA or you're talking about the Monstars, you know, you come down from Moron Mountain, <laughs> you get all the all the talents from the biggest players in the league, and you just, 
you know, run the league by storm. Um, you have the best player, the best Argentinian player, arguably the best Brazilian player. You have the best Spanish defender. Mm-hmm. You have the best Italian goalkeeper. You have a team that is full of talent. You still have Verratti. You still have Draxler. You still have Di Maria. It is just a headache to even think about any team that's going up against PSG, what they're going to do on the pitch. But then we are also talking about, from a pop culture standpoint, from a fashion standpoint, how big this is for PSG, for the world game. Not just the kits that they're going to sell, but the influence that they'll carry on. You know, like I said, you have you know, people that follow Messi, you know, to the death, whether it be Argentinians or Kules from, from Barcelona, they're still going to keep an eye on him and mm-hmm. how big of a name he is in the world game that alone, you know, is going to bring you millions of fans. I, I remember seeing, you know, just their Instagram followers, just like quadrupled. It went from like 18 million to 40 million. Mm-hmm. That is the power of a Messi. Now imagine if, you take that effect that Ronaldo had on Juve and you put that there, it's like, I mean, the world might as well end because you have, for the first time, you have multi-Ballon d'Or winners on the same team playing at the same time. And yeah, they're not in the prime of their career, but think about what that will do. And wherever you stand on the financial standpoint, from a story standpoint, it is undoubtedly nothing like this has ever been written. Yeah. It's crazy. It, it definitely trumps the Galacticos from Real Madrid. Yeah. If that were to happen, by far. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was multiple Ballon d'Or winners on that team. Luis Figo, Ronaldo, um, Zidane. You know, there, there was so many. they didn't have 10. No, they didn't have 10. And just, just, the, just thinking about if those two were to play together and win something would be incredible. And it would be huge for, for the sport. It would be huge for, for PSG. You know, just think about the the impact that Neymar made, not just on PSG as a club when he arrived, but like just the league in general. It got them those those. It got the French league, the TV rights, the broadcasting rights, all that revenue that the clubs are 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 making, is because of that deal. Can you imagine what what deal maybe in the next year or two when Messi's still in the league, is going to bring mm-hmm. to all the other all all the other clubs the the broadcasting. Uh, revenue for all the clubs, it's just gonna go up because Messi's there, yeah. Neymar's there. If Mbappe is there, if he's not there, maybe Ronaldo's there. You know the power, as you mentioned, the power that a guy like Messi has, Messi, ha- um, Neymar has, Ronaldo has. It's incredible. Yeah, they, he has a now a major stake for everybody's interest. <laughs> Whether you watch the Ligue 1 or you follow PSG. Everybody now has a mutual interest in what's going on in France, you know, from interviews, from matches to just what they're releasing, collaborations with Jordan. You know, it's just there is a whirlwind and they have a a great plan. I, I feel like PSG, the money was irrelevant for what the outcome was going to be. You know, the Galacticos were one thing. Berlusconi's Milan was another thing. But this is just something, it's a new page in history. And we have to come to accept it where, you know, it's a it's a billion-dollar game now. You know, you have huge uh, salary uh, wage bills that, you know, are unheard of from 10 years ago. But only PSG could do this. You know, you have a city 
that is also kind of in the same realm of, of spending Abramovich with Chelsea, same thing, but none of this magnitude. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you look at the, I mean, but a lot of people like to say that the financing of all, all these deals, you know, the Ramos and, uh, having Neymar on the salary cap, now Messi on the salary cap, Donnarumma on the salary cap, Gini Wijnaldum, who's making way more than he ever did at Liverpool. Like, how can they do this? But you look at what they've been able to do financially over the years since they bought since they bought Neymar and Mbappe four or five years ago. They haven't spent money on anyone. And they freed up some wages on players that they let go, made some sales here and there. They, do, they did really well in the Champions League. They made it all the way to the final. They made it to a semifinal. Being there all the time, they grow this revenue. They grow this exposure. And they're able to do this and they set out a plan and FFP isn't going to be behind their backs. And when you look at, you would think even including the Neymar deal and the Mbappe deal that, oh, they're just like City spending more money, but they spent the most money in the last six years. The fifth, the, they spent the, the fifth most amount of money on transfers in the last six years. Compared to all the giants in, in yeah. Europe, yeah, I- ironically, they've spent less than three hundred million less than Juventus, yeah. Barcelona, and uh, Man City. So, yeah. and Manchester United, yeah. So it's it's like yeah, you can talk about all the money that they're spending, but they are wise. Yeah, they are. They are wise, and that deal, that two hundred and twenty-five million euro deal for Neymar, is what grew League On even more. It grew PSG, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Because he's his own brand, he's his own industry. Yep. Everyone went to PSG. They they give all their attention. They give their their money to PSG. They want the PSG brand because of Neymar. But the broadcasting rights for the league grew because of Neymar. Yeah. Because everyone down. wants to see Neymar. So, mm-hmm. and the the league is booming even more. And now with Messi there, the same impact is going to happen. And. What an investment! You would think that two hundred twenty-five was uh, two hundred twenty-five million was crazy for one player, but you bought so much more than that, and PSG have made that money back easily. Yeah, and I mean, if you look down the road, you know, five to ten years, I mean, Ligue 1 could close the gap on some of the other leagues yeah. too, on Syria if they're not careful. Oh yeah, and on the Bundesliga, I'm, I'm honestly, I think, I think. The French league is a better league than the Bundesliga. It's not a better league than Serie A yet, but it's on its way to potentially being in that category with La Liga and and uh, the EPL. Yeah. In terms of young talent, you have so yeah. many great players that are coming out of those those smaller clubs. You know, even when we talk about uh, you know Magnan coming to to Milan, yeah. best goalkeeper in France at a bargain compared to what Donnarumma would have cost us. Yeah. And if you give the AS Monaco's, the Lyons, the Marseilles, those teams more revenue to hang on to those players, to groom their young players and keep them, not just sell them. The league can be a lot more competitive. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and if Monaco hadn't gone through that, you know, that rough patch, that, that rough patch, where almost getting relegated. Yeah. Their owner pretty much, you know, lost his fortune because of that divorce. I mean, Ligue 1 could have a whole different picture, but th- there's a lot of catching up to do. And I think this is, this is a, a huge statement for France as a whole as well. Yeah, PSG agree. just carrying Ligue 1. 
I agree. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Eddie, any last words before I close out the show? Rui, another great episode. I love just, you know, chopping it up with you. You know, we could talk about this stuff for hours. You know, our, our, our history goes back, you know, years and years. And we love to see how much the game has changed. You know, we've known each other for, for so long. But that's the one thing that brings us together the most is, is this game. And we have a mutual interest in Spain, Portugal, Italy, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I, I love being on this on this podcast, so I'm, I'm super honored to be a part of it. And when Joe comes back, you know, I'll tell him the same thing. But you work for me. Yeah, you work <laughs> for me now, motherfucker. <laughs> but hey, man, I'm not just here collecting a paycheck. I'm here to, you know, make sure we, we elevate this this podcast to the next level. You know, and anytime people want to share feedback, give us, you know, any type of criticism we're always open to it but absolutely you know this is we love this game so i love how you said i'm not here for the paycheck i wish donnarumma you know could say the same thing hey man i have loyalty in my heart i i believe in loyalty and being that bandera because it's part of the game you know it's 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 unheard of anymore but it's a beautiful thing to see because we look back in history you have player like gerard you have players like maldini that just and tati that just, st- yeah, that stayed true to their club, yeah. and that doesn't exist anymore. But it's a beautiful thing, I guess. That's not as beautiful as the commas in your in your bank account, but I get it, man. You yeah. got a family to feed. You want to eat filet mignon and truffle and stuff. Whatever, man. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Red Card Report podcast. <laughs> if you could please leave a five star review if on iTunes if you enjoyed the show follow us on Instagram at Red Card Report follow us on Twitter at RCR underscore podcast and we'll see you next time ciao then I to just a little scratch let's dance without fear